For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Nick Shackleford, and we're going to talk about how to build an internal team to scale with Facebook ads. If you run an agency and you feel like you're struggling with your ads, or you actually work for a business and you've been paying a lot of money to have an agency, or you've got an internal team, but they're just not working out right, I feel like today's interview is going to be kind of a big unlock because we're going to talk about what those roles look like, what they need to do, and even what it might cost to hire someone like this. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to click that follow button on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Nick Shackleford. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Nick Shackleford. If you don't know who Nick is, he is an expert in Facebook and Instagram media buying. He's the founder of Constant Creative, spelled with K's on Constant and Creative, for those of you searching. It's a company that helps agencies and brands create content. He's also hosted the Agency Algorithm Podcast. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. I'm happy to be here in, in Southern California. It's as nice as it could be. It's a little bit toasty though. How about you? Well, I'm filming right now in Southern California and it's a little toasty for us as well. I'm excited that you're here today. Nick and I are going to explore how to build a team to scale your Facebook and your Instagram ads. Now, before we go there, Nick, I would love to hear your story. How'd you get into Facebook ads? Start wherever you want to start. I mean, it was a hundred percent accidental, but it, it, it kind of started after my first failed career choice, which is and if anybody's listening and is a professional athlete at the time, there's not a ton of money if you're going to choose soccer in America. Now, if I would have chose football or baseball or basketball, I probably wouldn't be doing these podcasts just yet or even just in this field. But I actually was fully focused on trying to be a pro soccer player. And we, we reached a level at the LA Galaxy back in 2015, 2016. And then I realized to myself, talked to uh, my now wife, uh, I go, I don't think I'm going to have too much money here. And so I started coaching the youth, which is what most mid-tier to lower tier professional athletes do to kind of like scrape by. And that's kind of where this like love of paid media or growth or marketing actually began. Because for me to get a couple of more dollars just to be able to put into the, at the time, the Prius, I needed to sell goalie gloves. And so that was very, very early grassroots pun intended, grassroots selling of gloves to anybody that was willing to buy them. And at that point, that was actually putting it on Shopify. 
getting people to click the link and buying it and then kind of doing the whole wholesale thing back and forth. And at that time, I didn't realize that was influencer marketing, which is something now it's, it's just such a buzzword. You know, I want to share a little story with you. We have a new stadium here in San Diego and they have a professional women's soccer team. And I think it's called the wave or something like that. And I was surprised to hear that they only earn a salary of like $32,000 a year, which is like crazy. So a lot of people assume professional athletes, you know, and there's only like 16 teams in this league in, in all of America, but it's really only like the basketball players and the professional A-League football players and baseball players that really make money, right? It's completely, you're completely on it. And I can't even imagine what those salaries are for, for the for the women's side of things. Because even when we were kind of learning and growing into it, and, and to be honest with you, the LA Galaxy is probably one of like the, the big marquee ones. Now all the noise is about Messi coming to Miami and, and there's going to be big revenue coming in there. But even at the time when David Beckham came in, I got the tail end of that. So he was still a huge, large influence in the overall community, which drove us a lot of interest, uh, generally speaking, for that market. But when you make the decision, and my favorite thing about professional sports or my favorite thing about being a part of a team, which is kind of like a trend and a theme throughout my entire life, is I've always wanted to search for my locker room. That's kind of how I describe it. I like to be respected in an area of a thing that I care about. And so where digital marketing can be, where, where e-commerce can be, where paid media comes in, there's such a huge community. And look, you've been in this community for quite a while. You can build and be whoever you want to be in this space. You keep your integrity. You keep your ability to kind of produce for yourself and for your family. And that's why I loved it so much. It was super welcoming is this space, if you do it right, if you build a core product, even if you want to have a job and you don't need to build anything or be the entrepreneur, you can build a life for yourself. And I think it's so beautiful. So tell me more about how you got in, like, bring us through the storyline. You, you obviously soccer didn't work out. So you started some sort of agency. What, tell us more. Well, my best friend at the time, he, he was like, Hey Shaq, maybe it's time to, to give it up. And his name is Jake. He's my partner in everything I do today. I'm 32. He, at the time I was probably 27, 28. So quite a while of doing this. He, he was launching and selling jerseys online, legally, illegal, however you want to say it. He was reselling famous soccer jerseys. And we got on this early, early trend in 2017 called fidget spinners. So if you are listening, you have kids or you yourself are a, a millennial section like my, like me in a nineties kid, you probably had a fidget spinner. I have a couple on my desk here. And that was my first real taste in, and kind of like a belief breaker for me is if you find something with the correct offer at the correct time. And when we were doing, we we're selling these things, getting it from China, shipping it over to here and selling it kind of a little bit of an arbitrage on, on the Shopify's that was like $20, $30 a widget. And that was my first like, oh my gosh, choose something, pour the cash into Facebook. And there's really no other way of, of getting interest. And I'll even try to make that argument again today on the pod of explaining if you have a way of distributing the information or a product, physical, digital service, whatever you have, you, I still believe Facebook is going to be the place. Meta Properties is going to be the place for distribution. And that's where I, I was convinced if I'm not going to win in the sports, I'm going to win on paid media and I'm going to win on being a media buyer, which is, it's not a new term, but the way that people are explaining it now is just the difference between if you're going to be operating on these channels, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, you have the organic side, which is more of a, a social media marketing manager and you're producing content for hoping that the algorithm will pick it up. We're doing the same exact thing, but on the paid side, you still have to have a lot of those ways to get people to click and kind of go through and follow along or buy eventually. But we're just trying to do it and putting a little bit more speed behind the growth. And that's how I look at the difference between buying media, a media buyer on these specific platforms. And it's just the easiest way to ignite growth if you have a core offer. 
So tell us a little bit about the services that you provide through your various businesses today. And I don't even think it's a matter of the services that we provide, but I would think it'd be the matter of services that a lot of these agencies or teams can provide, or even people that are thinking about providing. If you know content, and the argument is having two two understandings. One, the distribution of media and the analysis and creation of the media. Those are the two areas I think most people play in either the creation and distribution or the analyzing of what they've just distributed or maybe a client of theirs have distributed or somebody that they're helping distributes. And so for us, it's Facebook, Google, TikTok, and then you have the email side of things, which is not necessarily a conversation that we have to have on this one. But for me, it's understanding that you have to to find a very clear way of creating content consistently, analyzing that content and then distributing. Very cool. Okay. So today we're going to get into scaling with Facebook and Instagram. There are some people listening right now, and you've kind of already alluded to this, that are all in on organic, but they're not putting money behind whatever marketing that they're doing. What do you want to say to those people? Why is putting paid acquisition essential to scaling a business? So a lot of us on the organic side, and I've, I've thought about this in preparation for this conversation, you spend so much time and effort into building a, a, an offer, a service, a product, a device course, whatever that that's going to be, that doesn't change when it's on paid. That's not, it's never going to change. And the difference between being a large spender and a small spender is the only difference is the large spender is just going to learn a little bit quicker. That's it. The smaller spender, it's going to take a little bit more time because you can't necessarily run as fast because you don't have the liberty of having as much funds, which is not an issue. It just takes time. So for me, since 2015, we've been doing this, right? So you have you have the the changes that the platform has provided us, and we've been selling on any of these platforms. You can say TikTok, Snap, you can say Facebook, whatever it is. We've been doing this from 2015, and there's no quicker way of getting feedback on whether or not this is going to work. Because at the end of the day, if you're taking too long to understand if this offer that you created, whether it's for organic growth or paid growth, you still have to figure out if it's something that people want. And by having this audience, it just gives us a little bit more time to, to figure it out. And we're going through this right now. We have a, a beverage product that we're trying to sell. We're only spending about $200, $300 a day. And what I'm trying to find out is, is this viable? Now, if I was just organically pushing this, this brand didn't exist in April. So I didn't have an audience. I couldn't launch to an audience. So the only way I have to really buy my feedback is I have to media buy it to the public. So what I'm hearing you say is that if you are wanting to launch a new product, maybe before you even develop the product or as you develop a minimum viable product, this is a great way for you to test. But on the flip side of it, what if you're an existing business that's been around for a long time and you maybe struggled to grow the business, but you've got a decent audience, how can Facebook ads help in that capacity? That's a, that's a really good question. And I think people discuss this, especially now, like whatever the, the news is going to tell us or say, you know, look, consumers aren't buying or uh, it's, people are very conscious of where their cash is going. Reports of Amazon, Amazon Prime Day, which we just had, which I think was on the 11th and 12th, was the largest Amazon Prime Day in the history of Amazon Prime Days. So they're spending, they're, they're willing to spend, but a lot of this growth has been powered through the ability for people to buy traffic, buy eyes, buy interest on Amazon in itself. So that to me is saying two things. People are still willing to buy, but they just need to know if that product is out there. If you corely believe in what you have, if you have a great service, if you have a great product and you need more eyes and interest around it, you have to be willing to spend the dollars in the correct direction. And I've been all in on this. And I, it's funny because I tell my, my Facebook reps, it's of like, 
I don't have a life or a career or a house or even the the income that I have if Facebook changes. If it changes, which it did during the, the iOS 14.5 where they're dropping the, the tracking and the cookies, I got nervous because I that was my livelihood, right? That was a full company that we had. And even to then, for Facebook to be where it is today, it is so much more mindless in a good way. And not mindless in a, I can be uh, very liberal with how I'm spending my money or how I'm building the campaigns. There's still intentionality around this, but then there's no need to be fully in the dashboard on a day-to-day basis. And and what we used to call day trading in the media, you don't have to necessarily spend the time because there's no real major hacks. 2016, 17, 18, even all the way up to, I would say about 2020, you could find marginal improvements by spending every single day and looking at all the numbers. And now what Facebook wants us to do is just focus on your content, focus on an experience for the consumer and put it live. And I think that's something that a lot of people are, are a little bit shocked of because when you log into the dashboard, there's so many buttons and levers that you can pull. And I don't think uh, it's as overwhelming as, as some to say, and there's so many free resources, even on uh, social media examiner, when I logged in there, there's an incredible explanation of how to just link your shop program to just your, your Facebook ads. There's a couple, there's a follow through step with, with, with you have an incredible instructor on that. And that to me was easy to follow and easy to execute. Okay. So today's show is really about, Hey, for those of you that are looking to scale your business and are already bought into the idea that you can accelerate that with ads first, you know, we're going to get into how to go about building the right team but before we go there, what are some of the big mistakes, if you will, that a lot of people get wrong when it comes to the way they're managing their ads? I think the easiest way is expecting one person to be everything. That's, that's a big mistake that we made multiple times, especially now where you can be fully remote and you don't need to be tied to just your region, which usually limits the quality of applicants in your space, anybody can work for it as long as they understand clear English, they understand the idioms that happen within the American culture and especially around your topic. I think you need to be very clear on segmenting the type of work that the individual is doing and you just want your expert in their expert domain. And so that's something that is a big learning that you don't expect the one person to know Facebook, to know Google, to know creative, to know all things. That's a unicorn. Even us, like as we try to hire on a consistent basis, it's very difficult to, for us to find that unicorn. So we we do like to think of it as different different roles to execute a, a, a one core strategy. So I love this, first of all, because it is true. Like I've talked to lots of marketers and there's some that are very analytical leaning. For example, people come that come to social media marketing world, you've got very creative people, right? People that are constantly pumping out video and images and copy and using all the latest AI tools to make it even better. Then on the other side, you've got the super techie analytical people, right? That are looking at your conversion rates and small little tweaks and conversion rate optimization. And they're not always the same people, right? So what I'd love to talk about today is, all right, let's say that we want to build a team. Now, before we talk about building a team, do we have to hire employees to build the team or can we potentially do this with contractors? This is not something I had planned to ask you, but as I'm thinking this through, you know, depending on the size of the company, could you hire part-timers to do some of what we're going to be talking about today? You have to think about your core competency as a founder or your core competency as a marketer. Do you lean towards the execution or do you lean towards the analysis or do you lean towards purely creative iteration? I believe you should own as much pieces of it because you're going to get the most focus there. But hiring out on just like an individual 
I need someone that just deploys the media, the quote unquote media buyer. Great. That's one role. I need someone to, to, to do a lot of the strategy work or the creative ideation. We would, we would call that as a, a very trending term now of a creative strategist, a little bit harder to find that I'm experiencing, especially in the market as we, uh, right now. And the final piece is just someone that's just analytic analytical. So who's analyzing the data? Who's analyzing the creative overall? I do think you could find a core person to analyze this, but I would start in what is your core competency? And at the end of the day, if you can save some bucks from hiring out and let that be used for the amplification of the creative through media buying, I'd go that path. Okay. So let's say that we want to build a team and let's presume that team is going to be an in-house team, right? And when I say in-house you know, obviously today that means they could be working in the same building as you, or they could be working from home. It kind of doesn't matter, but what is the very first thing we need to be thinking about when we're about to build a team that can ultimately, you know, really scale the business with paid acquisition? I would think of it in two steps. So step one is the, what, what am I able to actually test? And what is the format of me testing? Is like, how many assets, how many pieces of creative can I test and how many do I need to create? So that, that in step one, that is, who's my creator? Who's the person actually making the ads or assets? So that would be a multimedia editor. And this person, this is a Fiverr job. This is an Upwork job. This is an offshore talented hire for it, sure. It is. Okay, that's good to know. I, I, I do. And, and the, the biggest, and I'll explain that structure, why I believe that path, because that A, that's one that we've gone down towards both onshore and offshore. Onshore, we're finding that the costs of the talent to the output of the quality of work is is negligible. So we're finding whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Latin America, whether it's the Philippines, the quality of work that's being produced for the costs are comparable and at times sometimes more in our favor of where the cost should go. And I'm not for just offloading it and offshoring things unless it makes absolute financial sense. And right now that's something that a lot of us in the in this world need to be really considering based upon wherever our, our growth trajectory is going to be. So it's something that's super top of mind for us and the team. So we believe that that multimedia editor, that's taking existing video and making edits, that's taking images and making them into GIFs or GIFs, however you want to pronounce that one. I love those. I love the back and forth there. And Jen just putting uh, filters over over images, hard stop. That, that role is one core role that's going to be used a on organic as well, or B on the paid media side, because it's essentially the same role. So that's one core. That's the the multimedia editor. Then you have a I would say mid tier to a senior media buyer. And why I say this is because the person that's going to be media buying initially, and I'm not. You don't need to be spending ten, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars. This is sub ten thousand. This is sub five thousand at times. You want to make sure that this person is understanding how it's being deployed and a little bit of the analysis there. That's one area. So you have your editor, you have your media buyer, and these media buyers on the core, I'll, I'll call it meta properties. A lot of the industry will say, you need to be everywhere. You need to be producing on all platforms. I don't believe this. And I've seen this multiple times of the overwhelm of audiences, especially if maybe Facebook goes like, hey, now you have to be on threads. And I don't even want to go down this with you just yet, but man. If I'm, a, if I'm an organic person and I'm owning these channels, it's so overwhelming. Focus on meta. It can do majority of what you need done there. And it's already two platforms in it, right? You have Facebook and you have Instagram already within that stuff. I think we know why we're not going to worry about threads. They don't have an, an ads product yet, obviously, and we're talking about ads. But this multimedia editor 
can likely be someone who's not based out of your home country. It could be someone where it's more economical. On the mid-tier to senior media buyer, is this also typically someone who is not in your country? So we have both. We have offshore and onshore. Why I'm leaning towards onshore is because your first taste of paid media, you're going to want to trust this person and have them be more reliable. And in my experience, at the beginning, at the lower levels of spend, especially on what you're comping people at the start, you want this person to be stateside. You want this person to be within your time zone. You want this person to be co- uh, collaborative with you. And if, and in my experience early on, and look, this is a little bit more of a spicier take. I don't want a flight risk. I don't want someone losing internet. I don't want someone that's not going to be able to reply to me for 12 hours until they're back online. So I really want this person within a three hour time zone. So it, that's, you know, some people might feel differently, but in my experience, do you want them closer? Okay. So keep going with where you were going. So we're talking about building a team. And the first thing you said is really the multimedia editor and then the senior media buyer. And what did you say the range, salary range was typically for that kind of job? I would imagine it depends whether you're in Los Angeles or New York or in the other outskirts of America, right? Correct. That's a great call. I would say you're, you're expecting to pay anywhere between 45000 and 75000 to manage these channels, specifically Facebook and Meta. And that that would be full analysis. And that's a senior role. That's someone that you're going to be able to shut your brain off and have a great conversation with. Yeah. And you're having a lot more talent in middle America here. It's even us, like being an LA and New York-based company, we're finding quality talent in Texas and some of the Southern states too. Okay. So in this first step, what kind of work are these people doing? You know, what's some of the things that are involved here? So it's budget planning on the paid media style and then giving creative strategy and feedback to the multimedia editor. So that that role is essentially, hey, I'm, I'm going to request, I'm going to brief is what we will call it. I'm going to do a creative brief and request these edits to be done based on the content that we, I, I the media buyer has either shot or the company has shot. And then they're planning on where they're going to be spending the budget and at what frequency are they going to be spending that budget? Because a part of this role is allocation of spend as well as the analysis of that spend. And that's why we want senior. If they're touching the dollars that's going to be given the lifeline or some sort of trajectory, positive or negative for my company, I want them to have some financial literacy and able to justify why they're spending the money or why they're not spending the money. That's another very important role. So that's why I always see a senior buyer touching our cash, touching our distribution of revenue. And so that role is, here's what I want. Here's my briefs. Secondary, here's how I'm spending the money. Third, here's how I'm crafting the offer around the products. And it doesn't have to be physical products. It could be digital. It could be a service. It could be whatever that offer is going to be. And then finally, they're giving their report in a very, here's what I've done. And here's what I want you to do. And we use this framework, which is something that I think is, it will never go out of style. It can be tiered a little bit. It's called the WWW framework. What had happened? What is happening? And what do I expect to happen? And if I can ask a freelancer or my, my core team that's in-house, hey, what had happened? Here's my write-up. Here's the explanation of what happened. Okay, cool. Based on that, what is currently happening? Here's what's happening. And then, okay, based on that now, what do you expect to happen? And that question, if that media buyer and that team is working in that framework, there's no way you should never feel like you have enough context to give them ideas or allow budget to be spent. On the multimedia editor, is the assumption that someone else in the company is already creating content or is this creator, this multimedia editor creating content on behalf of the company? And I'm specifically thinking about like written content, visuals, and maybe video. The assumption is that the content is already being produced organically and it's mainly on, it's not text-based. So it's, this is not written content. This is all video or image. Like YouTube? Correct. 
Correct. It is either long form or short form, but there is a production or there is a workflow of content already. Building the content would be a whole other topic around like where we need them and what we need them. But right now we're assuming that there is some form of steady moving assets or steady creation of assets to be manipulated, changed, and used for a deployment of paid media. Yeah. And this is probably a good philosophical sidetrack. You know, most people that aren't savvy on paid media are just thinking about directly advertising their product service or experience, right? And you're talking about actually doing something that is just giving lift to the content that they're already creating. Is that, am I hearing you correct? Absolutely. Cause you're already going to go through the, like the same thought work of trying to get promotion or amplification through organic is the same exact thought work as what I need to do on the paid media. The only difference is that as you turn dollars on, you're going to get an audience and the more you spend, the least qualified a potential consumer it might be. You think about the smaller you, you, you start spending that sphere of influence is starting to get into like, it's starting to reach into these cavities of like, okay, this person might not know what my product or services. And so the, the further their dollar is the hundreds of thousands you're spending, the less qualified a potential buyer is Facebook. And it's like this weird reward system that we've seen at lower spend. You will oftentimes be rewarded with higher quality of consumers. And I think that's something that people forget to, to play is, look, Nick, I only have 10 bucks, 100 bucks a, a week to even deploy on that. That's still enough to understand if what your offer is going to work. Think about the organic views, right? If you don't have anything organically kind of producing for you, then that offer might not be great. Maybe, maybe we don't spend that. But if you have an organic offer, something that's providing clicks, views, or those overall conversions that you want organically, that is a perfect indicator of going like paid amplification. I should start right here. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show. Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about, Nick, before we talked about the second step that the media buyer, you know, that we're bringing in here, the senior media buyer, I don't know, maybe there's some stuff we missed. Is, if not, we can move on to the next thing. I'm not sure. Well, I would say the more of like a tactical takeaway for them, say they're like, hey, Nick, I'm, I have that media buyer. Or I can be that media buyer. I have that multimedia person. What is, here's like a workflow that I would say like an easiest place for you to start and at least... Now I can understand how to deploy some of this. I would look at it in this sense. First, if I have one to three concepts per product or offer, why I think about it in this way is it, it doesn't matter on the budget. I'm not going to talk about the budget. The budget is up to you. I don't set the, the spend or what have you. If you can come up with one to three core concepts, concepts of new positioning of selling my product to X consumer, meaning how many products do I have to sell? One product, awesome. Can I come up with three ways of positioning it to sell this product? That would be deployed in a structure of, I have one campaign to one concept. Now, say you have multiple assets or videos or images to sell that one concept. Those would be in their own ad sets. Because if we're talking about the campaign structure, one campaign, one concept. It's cleanliness of the account so that when you're looking at it or somebody on your team is looking at it, they know what they're going to find in that. They should understand what core quality of test is going on right there. 
that to me is very important for people to understand is the structure and organization of Facebook is so much more advanced than it was just in 2020 because they've had to up level because of the loss of data. Keep it simple with one concept, one campaign. Now, if you have multiple concepts for the same product, no problem. Each concept in its own campaign, just so you can kind of compare the two and you don't get them mixed up with what's really driving revenue or not driving revenue when you do end up choosing to push that button live. And then how we like to view it, and this will lead into the step two of what, what would happen next. We want to view it in a, in a one, three, seven. What I call is like day one, I'm just looking to see if my clicks or if my click through rate is completely out of whack, meaning I'm not getting enough or I'm getting too much. Something, something there is great or something there is not good enough. I'm getting five or $10 clicks. Maybe we have something wrong. Or if I'm getting vice versa, 0.001 cent clicks, what happened? What is, why is this working so well? Maybe I have hit a, a, a main vein in Facebook. Maybe I can put a little bit more gas and add some more budget there. But generally speaking, we're just analyzing on that one day. I don't want to make too many changes. Then we'll come into the third day. Third day is now I'm starting to see, okay, it's been live for at least two days because the first day, maybe you launch midday. I'm going to be able to understand, do I need to turn things up or do I need to turn things off? Which is the two frameworks of it's either up or it's off. If it's just in the middle and it's not working, chances are it's going to stay that way for quite a while. So why would I want to spend and, and waste that budget if it's not giving me a clear indication of either way? And then we'll do that same framework of up or off at day seven. Day seven, it's gone through your Monday. It's gone through a Wednesday. And it's most likely going towards the weekend where you get a little bit of different of change depending on the type of product. That to me is that one, three, seven of that's just the simple analysis, which the senior media buyers is, is actively going through. That to me feels really comfortable on just a basic framework of how my campaigns are set up and how the analysis should be. I love this. Okay. So in summary, so far, we've got this media buyer, ideally a senior media buyer that we've hired that is native to our country, right? And is understanding how Facebook and Instagram works. And one of the things that they're doing is they are analyzing on day one and day three and day seven, right? which is kind of going to be part of, I think what's going to make you feel confident as the director of marketing or the CEO of the company, you've got somebody who's actually keeping a pulse on what's going on instead of like just setting up the ads and disappearing, which is exactly what you get when you hire a contractor, right? Which is frustrating, which is like, I, and I do, I get this all the time. I've been in this space for so long. And the worst thing is when, when someone isn't following along and that's why I give a simple, like the simplest of frameworks, what had happened, what is happening, where are we going? Right. Like if they can answer those questions, don't, I don't need you jumping on a call with me every single day. Like a lot of people at these lower spend levels feel like, oh, I need all this input. There's only so much you can learn. So I, I love that. I can go on that forever. So I'll, I'll digress. Step two, if we're getting into step two, the, the analysis part of things, this is why we want a mid to senior media buyer to understand, to be able to kind of produce the analysis here. And then this is starting to get into this new trendy topic which I hope most people start to realize that this is a real thing. And it's not just a fad. This is here to say is a creative strategist, the person that's in charge of analyzing creative performance, which look before, before we all assumed, well, that's your media buyer. They should, they should be able to analyze the creative and analyze the overall performance and request budgets, manage it. In my mind, I would love for that to be that person, but it's not that way as much anymore. You can find these unicorns. These people do exist. It might even be you because you're the founder or you're the lead of the department. But generally speaking, splitting this out, you're going to be able to pay a little bit less for someone that just focuses on a core role. And you don't need all of their time, especially at that lower spend marks. But this creative strategist is now focusing on two sets of metrics. You still need your buyer. You still need your senior buyer to understand if it's driving your conversion. 
whether it's a physical product or digital product or lead source, lead acquired. But we're going to be focusing on these two areas that not too many people talk about. The thumb stop ratio, which is generally for, for creative, that is a video more than three seconds long. And it's three second video views divided by the total impressions that they received and why this is important. In meta, when you're scrolling and you're starting to see some creative or a video that's playing on Instagram or Facebook, you're not going to be charged until an impression isn't going to be recorded, aka we're not going to be charged for that impression until three-second video views have gone. So they have to have to seen it. So if you if you take analysis right now, if you're listening to this, you, how many types of ads are you seeing that you're actually watching for more than three seconds? Generally, you're scrolling, see, and scrolling. So you don't even see these things hit. Well, I don't want to be analyzing performance of creative if I'm not hitting a minimum threshold of three seconds where I'm getting charged at. Let me um, back up the train. I love this concept. And I want to back up to this creative strategist role, just so people can wrap their head around why and how it's different than a senior media buyer. So what we know so far from the very get-go is you said, look, you know, it's very rare for someone to be able to be a creative strategist and also to be a media buyer. We're getting into the analysis side of this, but help people understand like what kind of person do they need to hire or to be thinking about hiring, like define the role of what a creative strategist does so that they can wrap their head around it. Because for a lot of people, this is a new concept. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you for backing me up on that. I, I was moving, moving and grooving on this one. The difference between a media buyer and a creative strategist is that the media buyer's role is to live in the dollars and cents of what the creative that was already ideated and created inside the platform. So the, the creative strategist, he or she is requesting the content, analyzing the avatars that we need to be attacking, understanding the market, understanding the type of voice that's being created here, and understanding the, the soft metrics, which is the video views, the click-throughs, the thumbs-up ratio. So they're looking at a set of metrics that, yes, the media buyer needs to understand and have a, a thought on or an impression on, but they're not looking at, they're looking at how much money am I making and what are the landing pages looking at, what do the offers look like. The creative strategist, needs to be thinking of what type of content do we need to be testing consistently? How much do we need to be spending on this type of content? And is this type of content the ideal customer that's going to be driving for my offer, physical product or digital product? So that those relationship of the past, and you can see just in that explanation, you're like, well, that could be the same person. It should be, it was, but it no longer is because of how it's fragmented the, the ability to hire offshore and onshore is and the costs of these two. If I'm looking in our agency where we're both on creative and paid media, I'm able to find way more media buyers that understand paid media, but don't understand creative. And so they can get by. And a lot of us have been able to get by just by living in the metrics, living in the, the performance of the dashboards, but not able to have an input on what creative should be done or what the test should be next. And that to me is why we separate the two. Because I want someone thinking about it creatively only. That's all your job is. And I want the person living in the numbers at all times. And that's it. I want them separated so that they're not thinking about it. Because it's the right brain versus the left brain. So is this creative strategist typically onshore? The way that you've been using these phrases? Or is this someone you can hire offshore? I believe you can do this offshore. We've been able to hire more onshore just because of the nuance to the American, I would say, consumer. But with the amount of tools that we have, like doing consumer analysis through, let's say, ChatGPT or, or BARD or whatever, you're able to get a lot of this American nuance, assuming that the, this is the market in which you're selling or your localized market that you're selling into. It's that research and the heavy lifting of like, based upon 
who's been buying your product before based upon what the market is asking right now. Here's the direction we should go into. I think Offshore can pull this for you. What I love about this is a lot of people might have had the buyer, but that's it. And that might be part of the problem. And I think you're opening up a new framework for a lot of people, the idea that maybe they need to add a strategist, right? Who has got to create a bent. Now you're talking about the kinds of analysis. You were talking about focusing on the thumb stop ratio. Give us a little bit of an abstract on that because I know I broke you right midstream where you were going on that. And then let's talk about the other stuff that this person might be analyzing as well. So you you look at the, the hard metrics and soft metrics. And in this explanation of this, hard metrics are cost to acquire the customer, ROAS, return on ad spend, uh, new customer acquired. That's the media buyer. That's the, the head of marketing that's analyzing those numbers coming in. But they're not necessarily focused on a lot of the soft metrics, which will indicate Maybe some of this creative is incredible, but it's not driving revenue. So for thumb stop ratio, it's the three seconds divided by the overall impressions. Are people stopping and watching this piece of content? That's the first like heads up of like, are they even stopping? Are we even getting the intention? Is the hook good enough to kind of get them to even slow down and stop and watch? And the very next thing is going to be the three second video views divided by the landing page views. So how many people are stopping and actually not just clicking, but clicking and spending the time on that next landing page, which could be the offer, which could be just the homepage. It could be more information, but that's the second core metric that a lot of people aren't talking about. And the final one is what is my click to purchase ratio, which is if I've had them stop, how much are going through the landing page and how much are already going all the way through that conversion, that purchase, that download, that lead form fill, whatever that is going to be. It's those three metrics together. Thumb stop. Cool. I've seen it. I saw it. Three second thumbs up to the landing page. You go, cool. I'd seen it, saw it. Now I'm already off into your own domain. And that final one is seen it, saw it, clicked. And now I want to get all the way to that, that conversion event. Those three simple metrics adding into the traditional dashboard you have. And there's a lot of good resources around this. So a team called Use Motion, which is like an analytical tool that you could even use. But they have great content of just like, here's how to set your dashboard up. And I really appreciate them doing that kind of stuff. Okay. So how do we hire a creative strategist? Because this might not be a job that is widely understood. And then secondly is let's talk about how they, these guys work together, these folks, right? Like let's talk about the synergy between the media buyer and the strategist. So let's start with the, how do we hire somebody like this? What are we looking for? What I actually should do is I'll, I'll just share the job description that we have for this internally. So I'll put that as like a downloadable resource for you guys. Cause I don't think it's a very easy thing. If you were in the frame of mind of thinking, well, a media buyer should be doing both analysis and research. Then I don't think you're going to be thinking about like, what would the requirements be of a creative strategist? So let me provide that for you guys and just rip that and tailor it to yourself. Cause I think that's the easiest jump off point. That'll be a good piece. And where you would find these people to hire right now, the place I know to find them would be honestly, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know where this would be an open role. Well, yeah. And we don't need to worry about where to hire them as much as like, I love the fact that you're going to provide a job description, but like just off the top of your head, what are a couple things we're looking for, for somebody to know whether or not they've got the, the makings of a good creative strategist, just a couple things off the top of your head. And then let's just talk about how, once you hire them, the interconnection between the strategist and the media buyer. So first, they know the dashboard of Facebook. They've worked within the dashboard of Facebook, and they're going to be able to articulate back to you what core metrics are leading indicators and what core metrics are lagging indicators. Leading being the click-through rate, the thumbs-up ratio, the click-to-purchase, those important metrics. And then they're able to understand, well, yeah, my ROAS or my custom acquire customer, they're going to be able to speak two different ways to you. The metrics 
for the dollars of cent and the metrics of the views and the clicks. That's a the, the, the easiest place for starting on this. And then I would say that they have the familiarity of like justifying a piece of creative, why they believe it's good or why they believe it's poor. And so for you to like test out or interview these people, I would show them some of your best ads that have worked in the past some of the worst ads that worked in the past and just asking their articulation of why they believe it would work or wouldn't work. Now that discussion of having clear reasoning why they believe things were working or not working is going to get you far along. And then them being able to read the tools or understanding those core metrics. And there's going to be an education around that for sure. And I wouldn't expect anyone to, to kind of know this off the gates, but they, if they're corely just focused on not needing to actually run the paid media, but just analyze and do the research side, the avatar building is something that a lot of uh, the organic content creators or organic social media managers will already understand because they're having to do this anyways. Okay. So set the vision. Imagine you have a great senior media buyer and you have a great creative strategy. What does it make possible? Like, let's talk about like how they intersect and the beauty that can come from this thing that you're advocating. So say we have, we have our monthly content planning. And you have, you already have, this is the type of content we're producing for my organic channels. The organic channels that the creative strategist is like, cool, here's all your long form content. Here's all your video content. Here's all your images that we're going to be producing for our already, already in motion content for organic. Based upon the performance of the clicks drive driven, the views, the shares, the creative strategist is going to come in and is going to flush out more detailed videos that we need to be making pieces of the video that would turn into great ads or assets that we can kind of deploy in paid media. And then through the recommendation of what do we already have working and what can we make sure we can create more of on a consistent basis? What is the rotation of types of, of this type of content on a monthly and by and weekly, honestly, weekly basis? Because that speed of creation is then going to be up to the media buyer to choose how much money do I need to put behind this? And so having the creative strategist briefing the multimedia editor so that the paid media or so that the media buyer doesn't have to do it they can just live in the metrics and provide the reports back and then have the creative strategist that's able to find more avatars or find more creative i guess structures to be tested would be best for the media buyer to no longer have to live in those those ads or no longer have to understand exactly what piece of that creative was so compelling that got consumers to click and purchase through and so that when the media buyer's job is just all the assets have been given to me. My tests are clean. My report of numbers of revenues are clean. And now I can start focusing on what type of offers would best resonate with my potential buyer. And when you have that, do you find that all of a sudden you're getting better conversions because you got the right people in the right roles doing the right thing? I think the focus kind of clears up. Like you understand what you need to be doing at all times. So you're not stuck in this thinking and being trying to be creative when you need to be analytical. Or vice versa, just being be kind of like bogged down in the numbers and being bogged down in the ideation. Because one or two of these these types of roles, you're going to find that you as a media buyer gravitate to one direction. If I gravitate more to creative, I might not spend the, the necessary time of analysis in the account. Vice versa, if I'm not a very creative individual, but I like to live in the numbers, I'm not going to spend the time I need to ideate on new concepts. So when your role is very specific on what you have to execute, the speed and the cleanliness and would, would result in overall performance or at least the feedback of what needs to be done quicker so that I can kind of iterate faster. So that to me, like speed is savings. And I always like to use that within the team is because if, even if it doesn't work, I know that I don't need to invest more time in this direction. So let's change and go to another area. 
that to me was the most weird realization that I have because marketing teams, whether it's in an agency or whether it's in an internal team, it's the same, same expectations. We have to generate revenue. We have to preserve the overall loss of, let's say, less valued ad spend. Those are the roles, both whether you're hiring out or hiring in, that's what they have to focus on. So there's no difference between each team's how they need to operate. The difference would sometimes be on the ad agencies. They're having to work with multiple clients. Well, if you're just focused on one core product or one core client, that speed should be very consistent. So having these people in the right seats, that bus can go a lot quicker. Somebody is begging me to ask this question. I can already hear them in their brain. They, they're saying, Mike, you told me how much it costs for a senior buyer. What should I budget potentially for a creative strategist? I know somebody's thinking that because in their mind, they're paying an agency over here a lot of money and they're trying to see whether or not it makes sense to bring this in-house. So what would it cost potentially to hire a creative strategist, assuming you were hiring someone offshore? I would actually recommend the offshore at the start too, just because the research and the analysis and the tools they have at hand. You're looking to get away with this between fifteen to twenty-five thousand. Wow, that's a, that's a year, and that's a yearly contract. And this is—they don't need to be beautiful, perfect English on this. This is the part that it's most important. It doesn't have to be perfect and beautiful English. This is it needs to be the process of research, the process of iteration, the process of recommendation is so much more important than the English in which they're speaking back to me because they don't need to talk to anybody. They need to talk to me. If I can understand, I can see what they're thinking, and I, it's clear and understandable concepts. Thank you. I'll take that all day. Wow. Well, Nick, I know a lot of people really enjoyed today's interview because it's not normal that I talk about something like this. And I was, that's why I was so excited to bring you on the show. If people want to get that downloadable resource that you talked about, that job description specifically, that PDF of that job description for the creative strategist, uh, where do you want to send them? So we'll have them on constant creative with two K. So K O N S T A N T. K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E, constantcreative.com forward slash S-M-E. That's where we'll put the, the job description. Perfect. And then if people want to connect with you on the socials, Nick, where's the best place? Best place is Twitter. So that it's just I am Shackleford. So I-A-M-S-H-A-C-K-E-L-F-O-R-D. You'll see, you'll see this beautiful mug in there. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom and insights with us. We're better because of it. I appreciate you. I'll see you soon. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 575. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored Podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored Podcast.